0: Hey, folks, welcome back to Police Pod Talk, and once again, I have a huge honor to have on the phone with me Kathy Maggart. She is the Domestic Violence Coordinator at the Allen County Prosecuting Attorney's Office here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We've had Kathy on before, but it's been a while, so we figured it's time to do a little bit of an update. Kathy, let the people know you're out there.
1: Hello everyone.
0: All right, all right. And uh, we're just going to talk a little bit and uh, see how things are going, how things have progressed since this uh, whole pandemic being locked down. But uh, before we get into that, Kathy, how's life been treating you?
1: It's been good. It's been difficult, as I'm sure it is for most of the listeners out there, but it's been good. It's uh, a time that I was able to spend more time with my family and Uh, you know, safely and to, uh, you know, bring back some of those traditions that we used to have. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, uh, but uh, things are good. Things are good. Back to work now for a little while and, and things are good.
0: Well, good, good. So everyone was healthy, made it through? Yes. Well, I say made it through. We're not even done yet, are we?
1: (laughs) Correct. Yeah. (laughs) Healthy today. Okay. Well,
0: that's right. (laughs) We'll go with today. We'll stick with that. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad we get a chance to talk again, because I think the biggest thing that everyone has noticed has been a change in themselves, uh, having to be in right. quarantined and locked in. I'm going to let you talk about that and talk about what's been going on. And it's not like we're proud of this, but if the numbers have gone up in domestic violence, kind of talk to us about what's happening. You go right ahead, You've got the mic.
1: All right. Um, I think what we're seeing is that due to uh, quarantine and the COVID virus, there are more folks who are spending time at home, which means more families at home, uh, more intimate partners together at home. And those are the groups that we need to keep an eye on because there's, uh, you know, groups, these groups have uh, situations that are volatile. And when you're home together, a lot more there is no escape from this situation so in the respect of casework that this office and my office has been receiving uh, yes we have seen an increase in domestic and family violence cases a lot of those are coming through our office with children as witnesses because once again uh, the children have not been in school either until just very recently and so the entire family is at home That makes for a situation of high lethality because we have uh, children under the age of 16 in the home witnessing this, becoming secondary victims in this crime. And then we have a situation where the victim in this situation can't leave. Where is there to go? How do I get there? Um, You know, there's restrictions on what is open, what was closed. One of the most positive things that I have seen is that um, I've been working with local advocate groups, including me, the YWCA Women's Shelter and Outreach Program and the Amani Family Services Program who have continued this t- entire time serving those uh, clientele involved in domestic and family violence, whether that be they open up their doors to uh, shelter or they open up their phone lines for crisis counseling, and that's been something that's been super positive lately.
0: Mm-hmm. So let me, I'm going to back up just a little bit here. The cases that are coming in, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you guys track this, but is it like first-time families that have ever been involved in something like this?
1: Yes, there are some cases that unfortunately we're seeing these first-time families. Um, maybe there's no kind of documented history with law enforcement before or in our court system, um, and this is the first time, the first interaction with the legal system that uh, someone's coming through as a perpetrator or, Or a victim in that crime.
0: Have they ever have you gone to court and this person said hey I've just been locked up in the house or given a reason?
1: We have been hearing that a little bit through reading the officers investigative reports which include those interviews but for the most part it's the tension. It is the tension building from yes being at home together and having limited access to the outside world to increase alcohol or substance abuse that has been going on in the home um, with no, you know, that person being also then restricted to that environment. But mostly the isolation has increased for victims of domestic violence because there's very limited places to be
0: right and, and you, to
1: go for a help.
0: Right, right. Sorry about that. You, you touched on that. Kind of go back mm-hmm. to that. Let's say there's okay. someone in the house. They can't mm-hmm. get out. And you said there Mm were some services that were open talk about that a little bit more
1: sure you know there's always a hotline available we have here locally in Fort Wayne Indiana the YWCA women's shelter and outreach services and they're available 24 7 365 days a year and so they do have access to call in uh, discuss crisis counseling with um, someone if need be, and to offer that shelter assistance if need be as well.
0: I can't imagine this happening and then you feel like you're just stuck in the house. But if the police showed right. up, and help me with this, if the police did show up mm-hmm. and you're you're reporting domestic violence, you were battered, you were you know choked or whatever, do they mm-hmm. go ahead and remove people from the home or make an arrest at that time? Well, normally they do, right?
1: Right. There is a mandatory arrest policy in Allen County. In the majority of of states and counties, there's a mandatory domestic violence arrest. If an officer responds to a domestic violence call of 911 and the officer, through their investigation, through an interview with witnesses, through collection of evidence, if they see or hear that domestic violence has occurred, they are under a mandatory arrest policy to make that arrest.
0: And that's during this pandemic also, right?
1: Absolutely. That had, this yep. has
0: nothing to do with it. You still have to do, they still have to do their job, right?
1: They do. They right. do.
0: <laughs> yes. And what are you seeing? I mean, we've got the numbers have started to climb. People are locked in the house. What type of violence are you seeing? I mean, I know the pushing and shoving, but what are you guys right. seeing? Right.
1: I would say that we're seeing an increase of cases of not only male perpetrators, but female perpetrators as well. And that could be as a result of some fighting back, some protection issues of their children. There are male and female victims of domestic violence. That is a fact. And no one should be denying that both sexes can be perpetrators of this violence. I am also seeing that there is an increase of the crime of strangulation this crime is probably the most lethal it is also the most anticipated power and control act that one can perpetrate on their on another basically you have their life that person has their life in your hands Hmm. literally and um so we're seeing an increase of cases with strangulation being involved um, we're seeing an increase of cases of uh, weapons being involved. And a weapon can be anything, you know, typically what people think is that it's going to be a gun or a knife or or something similar. Weapons can be anything that can cause or potentially cause death. Um, so it can be a rope. It can be a um, a candle, a, a crystal-lead candlestick. It can be you know, something, a brick, it could be a multitude of things that could be considered a deadly weapon, and those then are obviously reviewed case by case to determine if that is a deadly weapon or not. But we've seen an increase of weapons used in in domestic violence incidents. And then, like I said, we've also seen that increase of female perpetrators as well. In those cases, that doesn't necessarily mean that both parties were arrested. It just means that law enforcement has to determine who was the primary aggressor in that situation. And it could be the male and it could be the female, or it could have been both legitimately. But we've seen an increase in female perpetrators as well. Wow.
0: I'm going to go back. Uh, I always have to go back here. <laughs> you mentioned nope, that's something. Fine. Yeah, You mentioned something about strangulation. and Uh-huh. Kind of get uh, our listeners to understand exactly what is that and why is that so important?
1: Strangulation, like I said, is probably the most lethal form of domestic violence that uh, we typically see in casework. Strangulation is used by perpetrators, and the biggest thing to remember about strangulation is that it can cause death, and it can cause death in a very short period of time. To strangle someone, most people use the term choke but the proper terminology would be to strangle someone. Death by strangulation or injury or the act of strangulation is basically eliminating the circulation of blood and oxygen in the body. One of the things that we need to understand is that, and that can be done by the use of hands or the use of an object. It can be done by someone sitting on the chest, restricting that. It can be used by pushing someone's face into a pillow it can be used in a number of ways not your typical hands to the neck which most people think but strangulation can be done manually or through another another type in strangulation when that blood and oxygen circulation is halted it's important to understand that someone can lose consciousness in probably less than 30 seconds Once they lose consciousness, that oxygen, those cells are dying. Blood clots could continue now to form. And more serious acts can occur following in the next minute to minute and a half. Within that minute and a half, you're not going to necessarily make it through two minutes of that. And so death is the end result that is the most tragic.
0: Hmm. Now, I know you taught a class, and I got to go Mm -hmm. to it. Talk a little bit Mm -hmm. about after, the after effects. I mean, you don't die, but, uh, you know, weeks, months later from being strangled.
1: Right. Strangulation, you know, and the typical thing that people expect is to see visible injuries of someone who's been strangled. And that's not necessarily true. People will look if the person says that they were strangled around the neck by, by both hands people will automatically assume that they should see fingerprint bruising or bruising or redness or scratches. That's not necessarily true because the real damage occurs inside the body, um, things that we can't see, crushed larynx, you know, ruptured blood vessels, uh, clotting, things of that nature. And so one of the biggest misconceptions is that you will see the visible injury and that's not always true the other thing is that folks may experience a change in their voice that could be because of damage to the larynx in the voice box they can experience breathing problems because there has been the restriction of air loss they can experience a number of different injuries headaches the thing that we want most people to understand is that following a strangulation one of the only The only types of medical service that can really tell what kind of damage has been done is called a CTA or a CT. I'm going to have to get a little more official because that's not very good if I'm not, (laughs) right? But a CTA is a type of CT scan. Of course, when I look at it, it comes up as Chicago Transit. Um, (laughs) That's not what we're talking about today. No. But uh so when we look at it it's this it's I want to say it correctly hold on but it's a type of angiogram a CT scan with an angiogram that means they're using that dye to officially look at specifically to see where the potential arteries or clots could exist mm-hmm. when someone is strangled wherever that oxygen is cut off that blood's going to build up okay And when it's let go, where do we think that blood clot would go to? Well, it will go up, right, because of the circulation. Hmm. When it goes up, what's what's on the top of us? Our head. And it'll go straight to the brain and it can cause a stroke. Hmm. So we want to be able to see, we're looking for blood clots through those angiograms or those CTAs. And we're looking for any kind of damage like dissection in the uh, throat, neck area so that we know what kind of injury exists inside.
0: Okay. So if there's a female out there, even a male, I I take that back. If there's anyone out there listening and they've been strangled, because I've heard people say, well, I was choked just a little bit and it was no big deal. Mm -hmm. What What do you say to that?
1: There is no such thing as a little bit. I mean it can cause pain, it can cause if you're losing your breath, that is a strangulation. It is the stop it you know, it stops the circulation of blood and oxygen and that is strangulation. It, strangulation can be five seconds or it could be two minutes resulting in death. It it's just once that oxygen is impaired and cut off, that is a strangulation.
0: So To blow that off, to say, well, I got into it with my partner, and they grabbed me around Mm -hmm. the neck and pressed their hands around my neck, and I couldn't breathe for even a half a second, that's still strangulation.
1: It can be, yeah. And whether that's a crime or not, that's up to further investigation and things like that. But for them, that is, you know, that was what took place with them. They could not breathe, whether it was five seconds or not. You know, we we train with officers to ask questions so it helps to determine the length of time or the severity of the act of the strangulation. Um, So we're asking them to look for signs and symptoms. You may ask them, what kind of things were you seeing at the time? Some people report seeing stars. Some people report seeing blackness. Um, Some people report that they had ringing in their ears. Some people report that they were gasping and spitting. So it's just, it's kind of, you know, we're looking to see what that impairment's going to be. So
0: so for anyone that's been grabbed around the neck, it's important to follow that up. Now, how Mm how would someone follow it up? Would they just go to their doctor or what would they do?
1: They can contact their doctor if in an emergency situation, obviously through 911, an ambulance or ER services are available, um, urgent care centers are available, and it's letting them know what the act was that was committed on them to make them believe that there was that strangulation and for people to be knowledgeable and say, it's my understanding there is something that can look inside. Can you help me with determining if I have any kind of injuries inside?
0: just because people are using the quarantine as an excuse and they may be mm-hmm. like the first time this family has ever been involved in any kind of a domestic violence that mm-hmm. doesn't give them a free pass to not ever have, have be held responsible for their actions is that true
1: that is true we're not we're not you know a crime has been committed a crime is sent to this office to be reviewed for prosecution where the state will determine if they're going to hold that perpetrator accountable for the act that, that we were arrested on. And we processed that no different than we did prior to, let's say March 1st, when, when COVID and, and those things were coming more and more visible in our communities. It, it did not change the way that we reviewed cases. It did not change the how we prosecuted cases. We still issued no contact orders. We still filed formal charges, and we still are pursuing prosecution through trials in those matters.
0: Okay, now you just said something that uh, can you talk a little bit more about a no contact order, protective order, or restraining order? Give the differences yeah. and when those all play.
1: Sure, in our community and throughout the state of Indiana the proper terminology is a protective order. And I think, and the best analogy I can give is that a protective order is like this big umbrella. And under the umbrella there's several types of protective orders in the state. The first one being there is a civil protective order and that is what we call an ex parte order of protection or EPO, those are obtained through the civil courts in most counties in Indiana and they are free of charge, which is very important for clients to understand. Um, It's free of charge, and basically that person is asking the court to give them a safety through protection um, of forcing that other party to stay away from them. Um, They're asking them to prevent that person from contacting them through direct or indirect contact, phone, telephone, or uh, phone, my fault, phone, social media third party or in person and they are oftentimes restricted on who can apply for those and they are looking for those with domestic violence history sexual assault stalking and, and harassment so those are the kinds of services that the ex parte order of protection is available to and if the person petitions the court and meets with the judge and the judge agrees with that again it's free of charge then that protective order is issued and served upon the responding party if those protective orders are issued they are good for two years that's one of the you know services under the protective order umbrella the other type of protective order that we have is called a no contact order or NCO those are issued out of criminal cases by the judge So if someone is arrested for a domestic or family violence case, a sexual assault, a child battery, those kind of cases where there's a victim of a violent offense, those can be issued by the judge. And that is a strict no-contact order, meaning there shall be no contact from that uh, defendant with that victim in any way, shape, or form. And those are issued by the court. So those are not charged upon uh, for the victim at all. And then finally, there is another type of civil protective order under this umbrella, and it's called a workplace violence protective order. And what that is, is that would be for, uh, let's say, a business who has a victim working with them inside their business as an employee, and the perpetrator or the the party is making threats to the local business trying to get to that employee or victim. In that response, the employer, most of the time through their legal department, will file for a workplace violence protective order. And that means that they will, they are asking the court to restrict that person from coming on their premises, from contacting their premises or place of work to eliminate Um, And protect those employees within within its walls.
0: So do these protective orders also cover any children?
1: Um, That depends. If there is, in in both circumstances, those civil protective orders, most of the time, most of the time, our magistrates or judges are asking further questions. Has the child or children been involved as victims, as secondary victims of these crimes? or these incidents of abuse or harassment. Um, At that point in time, the judge can render their own decision on whether or not to add them. However, most of the time, a victim is not only filing for their own protective order or ex parte order of protection, they are also filing on behalf of their child, which is a separate order, which would be separately reviewed at the same time. So um, they can be. But it just depends on the circumstances and whether or not that judge feels he has the authority, um, because certainly if children are shared by a domestic couple, then there there are also uh, legal ramifications regarding custody and visitation rights.
0: Um, have you guys been seeing an increase in, be it, uh, now I know you don't investigate a lot of them at the, well, maybe you do, the elderly, <laughs> nursing homes. Are you seeing people who are caring for an elderly uh, family member? Did it increase? Yes. Okay, do you yeah. know? You know what I'm asking. I think you.
1: we've seen some. I am. I am. <laughs> I am seeing that because once again, where are we with COVID and where are we with quarantine? I think that it's not that it hasn't existed this family violence, and of course, what we want to understand is is that in situations with elders this abuse is coming from their caretakers who the majority of the time are a family member. And so this was happening beforehand, but I think what is brought to light was is that there's less places for people to be and go during COVID. So this abuse is more prevalent. I don't know how I want to really kind of put that out there. Maybe you can help me a little bit, but I think the awareness of it Uh is is becoming uh, more to the surface. And I think that they need to understand most importantly, whether it be um, a neighbor or someone witnessing this or a doctor's office or a nurse or another family member. If that caregiver is abusing a party, the party or the, the victim, that is a crime. It is not necessarily anything else at that point, but a crime. It is against the law to batter an elderly person to the point that they experience pain right. or have injuries. And so I think what is important is that these are crimes and where do we report crimes to? 911. right? And that's the most appropriate place that these crimes need to be reported to. Right. But we right. have seen that because I think there's been, again, more family together, or the uh the the folks you know were not able to stay in the facilities that they were in so they went home with their family members
0: mm-hmm. i guess i didn't think about that one yeah that's yeah a good point. okay yeah. Um, i'm going to go back and i keep doing this because that's I remember all right that's I, what we're yeah. that's okay <laughs> because someone asked me this before i said do protective orders and uh no contact orders and all those things and this is a, a big question do they work, and is it worth a victim getting it?
1: I think that I think that they do work, and the reason I'm, I''m I want to explain that. I think that they do work because if a victim is needs this person or it's one step in the victim's safety plan. There's many steps in a victim safety plan when they are planning a strategy to exit an abusive situation or they have left the abusive situation one step is a protective order. And the protective order, the civil protective order that we were talking about earlier, the ex parte order, that does work because if the victim has sought out assistance and the court has authorized that and the court has ordered that person to stay away, if that person contacts that victim by phone, email, in person, and the victim has to call 911 When officers arrive and see they have access to the protective order registry, they will look up that person's name to see if there is one. If they see that it's there and it's active, they have every right. Again, we're back to a mandatory arrest on domestic violence, and that would be a violation of that protective order, and that means there could be an arrest then. So I think that that's the important part of it. Yes, we also have to be honest that it is a piece of paper and it can't if someone is truly going to commit the most heinous or harm to that victim they have to have a good safety plan and no piece of paper is going to stop that no safety plan could potentially stop that so while I think that they're good and that they can be effective it doesn't mean that it's going to be foolproof
0: So with all the information that's been put out there, you've been doing this for years, are you seeing an Mm -hmm. improvement in this area at all?
1: I think that we are making improvement, and where I think we're making improvement is getting awareness out there. People need to be aware that domestic and family violence is happening with your neighbors, with the kids who sit next to your kids in school, it's not just going to go away. Um, for years, it was a woman's problem, not anybody else's. And and I think that if we don't talk about it and we don't acknowledge that it's real, then we're not doing any good about bringing about that it still exists out there. We need to talk about it. And I think there is more discussion about it. Of course, there's more discussion about a lot of topics oh, in, yeah. in in the public right now, but I think that, you know, talking about it and bringing about the awareness is the most crucial, and I think that that is going on. And I think we're making strides with bringing attention to it in our local community here through events, through public awareness, uh, PSAs, things like that. I also think that the crime of strangulation is also something that I've seen an increase in better investigations coming from law enforcement, meaning they're. They're asking the right questions, they're identifying the elements, they're collecting evidence, and they're building stronger cases, which means that we, when we receive those investigations, have better, stronger cases for prosecution, and the utmost goal is safety of the victim in the community and to hold the perpetrator accountable for the act.
0: Well, well said. Kathy, you have a tough job, but uh, <laughs> I've known you a long time, and you do it really well. And uh, I we appreciate always,
1: that,
0: and and we always pray for you because we want to make sure you stay strong, and you also are mentally healthy. We always want to. I'm yes. always worried about that. Are you Are you getting a chance?
1: <laughs> I'm here, Cleveland. I'm yeah. here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> because, folks, I'm telling I'm you, I'm here. Yeah, you. you <laughs> it's one of these, Kathy. You're one of these people nobody really wants to have to deal with, but when they do deal with you. <laughs> Let me finish now (laughs) what I'm saying. (laughs) But when they do deal with you, you give a hundred percent to every person you work with or have to work for. And I can say that about you. So, no one really oh, I wants appreciate that. yeah no one really wants to have to but i'm telling you if you if you have to i know you you've got this person's back and there've been several times you and i've had an uh, investigation together and when i hear you coming right. down the hall and you're carrying those papers in your hand i'm like oh somebody's in trouble <laughs>
1: All right. <laughs> well, you know, I thank you, Cleveland. That I, I mean, and you know, I enjoy working with you too, and I think that the two of us have taught each other quite a bit too. And and that's what, but that's what it's about. It's about it's working together because one person can't, you know, conquer anything. But I I think that the reason I maintain the passion is because if this crime was perpetrated on my family member or my loved one or my best friend or my, you know, whatever. I want to know, I want them to know just like I would want my family member or my, you know, loved one to know how this whole process works. Mm-hmm. I don't want anybody going in, they've already experienced some trauma, right. some, some trauma that none of us probably will ever experience. And I want them to know what's going to happen next. And sometimes that's the good and the bad, mm-hmm. um, because it's not always you know peaches and cream once the uh, an arrest has happened. So, giving them both sides honestly of potential of what can happen, where you know exactly you know hey you're going to come into our office and this is what it looks like and this is who you're going to see first. You know, step by step is what people deserve to know. Right. And it also helps for them for their recovery and it also helps with them for their future on moving forward. Right. So that's why I do what I do. You know, people ask me all the time, you know, how can you do that? I couldn't do that every day. Well, mm. but I, you know, as long as I can, I will. Yeah. And you do have to take care of yourself. You do have to give yourself an outlet to recover yourself. From the things that we see and hear during the work, you know, work part of our day, and you have to do that, and I do that. I make sure to do that, and it's e- but it's easy to get lost in. So you always have to remember that you got to take care of you first. There you go,
0: and and again, I'll say you do it well. You do it really well.
1: Well, I appreciate that. <laughs>
0: okay, one final Thank question. You. <laughs> you're welcome. One final question. Okay. Okay. Not that we don't want you to be where you're at or what you're doing. But I always wonder this about people like you who do such a great job. Are you creating another you somewhere behind you? Is someone? Are you mentoring someone or is someone alongside of you seeing what you do?
1: You know, I when I came into the position that I'm in now here as coordinator for the office, one of the most important pieces that I wanted to bring in was internships. That means I want... To teach the future I want the future to see what this is really about I want them to gain experience so that when they move into the professional realm that we all work in they know what they can expect from the prosecutor's office they know who the players are in the law enforcement field and the advocate field Um, so I do a lot of training on campus speaking with uh, a lot of our local universities to put out who we are, what we do, what I do, what domestic violence is, and, and that kind of thing, because I want to bring folks in to work with us. And it is volunteer, unfortunately. We don't pay, but it's experience that is by far more important. And I'm proud to say that a number of the interns who work who have worked with me as interns here um, are now full-time staff members somewhere in this office in the investigative division child support um, or even a deputy prosecutor Mm -hmm. so you know that is I think crucial is building the next generation of players in this uh, dynamic that we work in and so I'm not creating a mini me because there's not much mini to me anymore (laughs) but (laughs) <laughs> but I will say that, uh, you know, it's getting out there and teaching the future. And that means those coming out of school, entering into the professional workplace.
0: I know I said one question, and I know it's getting to that time. but And
1: now you're going to do two.
0: <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. You said so, you had a young man that was working with you, I think, last year. Um, I think he yes. was out of Gary or somewhere, out of uh, Detroit. He was out of Detroit. Detroit. Mm-hmm. What eventually happened to him?
1: He is in law school right now he graduated with his undergrad so he um he worked with me here and he was doing his senior internship and through that internship we learned a lot about one another cuz i you know i'm not you know just cracking the whip and teaching them stuff i'm also interested in who they are as people his his goal was to finish his undergrad apply to law school and and go to law school and that's exactly what he's doing right now i'm happy to report Excellent. and uh, we stay in contact and who knows maybe in the future uh he'll be right back in here and uh, maybe he'll be on staff
0: i'll be darn yeah i remember seeing him and and folks you don't know who i'm talking about but this is kathy this is Ka- kathy got this guy involved in a TikTok video <laughs> <laughs> you remember that right
1: again we have to we have to have release <laughs> we have to de decompress yeah. so yeah we did a tiktok video that's
0: right i remember that kathy? <laughs> kathy again uh you have a tough job but i'm glad you're doing what you do and we just wanted to get an update because we've been hearing a lot about this whole you know quarantine and and domestic violence going up but uh we would come directly to you if we wanted to know if that was true and uh, you gave us a good answer great answers and a lot of information today and kathy hang in there and keep doing what you're doing and thank you very much for taking time out for me today
1: oh i appreciate it thanks for inviting me back anytime i'm always ready willing and able to talk about it Uh so um i appreciate that too and and you know everybody needs to stay safe out there and you know, please call for help if you or call if you're not sure and, and find out if uh, you have your support system and make sure that you're safe too. All
0: right. Thank you, Kathy. With the, Kathy Maggard with the Domestic Violence. She's a Domestic Violence Coordinator at the Allen County Prosecutor's Office here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Thank you very much. And folks, thank you for listening to Police Pod Talk. We'll catch you again next week. Thanks again for hanging out with us. Remember, you can always go to policepodtalk at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook at Cleveland Jr. or Police Pod Talk. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.